The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. If you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand uh, as we read from our text this morning. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 7, will be in verse number 27 here in just a moment. It's a little bit of a lengthy portion of Scripture, but uh, we'll read through it here, and then Pastor Nick will come, and he'll just kind of uh, walk us through this entire passage. I promise you, if you'll zone in on this, it will be a huge, huge help uh, to your life. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 8, let's begin reading in verse number 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Uh, There's probably not a better question we could ask ourselves than that question right there. Who is Jesus? Let's keep reading. Verse 28. And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And Jesus charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We're going to have a word of prayer and then Pastor Nick's going to come and speak on the subject of how to have a great new year as we walk through this text this morning. How many of you, if you're to be honest, we're gathered with our church family this morning so we can be honest. If you're to be honest, you're to raise your hand and say, Pastor Nick, I've already failed at one of my New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand. All right, we've got a few honest people. I feel like we had some either more honest people in the first service or you guys are just a lot more disciplined. I don't know. Um, now, my wife and I, we, we set some New Year's resolutions this year, uh, really kind of some goals from some things we'd like to make our life better. And uh, one of those goals was we decided that this year we were not going to eat any fast food or drink any soda. Now, in the first service, people clapped when I said that. Come on, guys. Thank you, Hunter. All right. Feeding my ego a little bit here. Uh, no, we actually, we, we did this for a while. Um, for about two or three years, we went without any uh, fast food or soda, and it was really good for us. And then this guy was born. And uh, we were like, bring on the Big Macs. Like, we just can't do this. Uh, just kidding. He's a great kid. Um, but anyway, so this year we're deciding we're trying to be a little more health conscious. And of course, with not drinking any soda, 
that means, obviously, we're going to be drinking a lot more water. And so to help with this, we have this really fancy water filtering system in our home. Uh, it filters the water through several ways. The first thing you do is you actually pour the water into the back of the machine, right? And through this really high-tech uh, way of filtering water, it uses pressure and heat, and it filters the water through this all-organic, natural, plant-based filter known as coffee. So really, our goal is to just drink more coffee. And uh, with kids like that, we're probably going to need it. Uh, just kidding. Now, we like, I like to poke fun at New Year's resolutions, and I think all of us kind of like to. We can all relate with this guy, one or the other. I found this meme on the internet. can't believe it's already been a year since I didn't become a better person. You know, while we poke fun of it, though, the truth is, I think most of us, we'd want to say, man, in 2018, I would like to grow more spiritually than I did in 2017. That wouldn't be an uncommon thing. That wouldn't be a crazy thing. That'd be a good thing. That'd be a thing that I think God would want to honor. Most of us would say, man, I want to see more people saved. I want to disciple more people. I want God to use me more. Uh, I want to experience more of the abundant life that Jesus would so often talk about. But we often just don't know how to go about doing it. Uh, we often don't really know the pathway to get there. And what we're going to see here in our text this morning is that dying to self is actually the pathway that leads to an abundant life. Dying to self is the pathway that leads to the abundant life. So we're going to build on this theme as we work through Mark, chap- excuse me, Mark chapter number 8 this morning. In our text, we have Jesus and his disciples, and they're walking. They're on the northern end of the region of uh, Judea. They're uh, by Caesarea Philippi. And as they're walking, Jesus kind of throws out this question. He says, hey guys, what's the word on the street? Who do men say that I am? And the answer to this question reveals our first thought this morning, which was Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was really misunderstood. As they're answering, they say, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Other people think you're Elijah. Some people think that you are one of the prophets. And they start giving all these different answers. But then as Jesus is listening to what the word on the street is, he really flips the question. He takes it out of the theoretical and he makes it personal. He takes this question and he makes it real. He says, okay, but who do you say that I am? You see, that question carries a lot more weight. It's not just, hey, what's the local gossip about? It's, man, who, do, who is Jesus? Who do I think he is? Who do I believe he is? It has a lot more weight. It has a lot more consequence. In fact, that question, who is Jesus, is the most important question a person can answer. You see, in Jesus' days, a lot of people just thought he would be a prophet. A lot of people thought that he would be this uh, zealous leader who would overthrow Rome. And there's a lot of people who misunderstood what Jesus was. But who is Jesus? There's not a bigger, more important question that we could wrestle with today. You see, if we, like a lot of people today, will be like those people in the olden days, and they just think, well, Jesus was a good teacher. I mean, yeah, he said a lot of good things. You know, the golden rule, that's good. Do unto others. The whole Sermon on the Mount, that's good. Yeah, love your enemies. That's all, that's all well and good. And they look at Jesus as just a prophet. But can I submit to you that if Jesus was just a prophet or just a good teacher, he couldn't really be a good teacher. You say, what do you mean? Jesus claimed to be God. And if Jesus claimed to be God and he wasn't, then he would be a liar. So the idea of saying Jesus is a prophet or Jesus is a good teacher, Jesus himself doesn't really leave you room to believe that. He was either a liar or he just would have had to been some crazy lunatic. But who is Jesus? 
Was he more than just that? If he was just a prophet, if he was just a good teacher, how do you explain all the miracles? How do you explain him raising people from the dead? How do you explain his own bodily resurrection three days after he was brutally and publicly murdered? How do you explain 500 eyewitnesses seeing him alive and well after the resurrection of Christ? You go to any investigation, and the first thing the detectives do is, let's get a couple witnesses. Jesus had 500 eyewitnesses who saw him alive after he had died. Who is Jesus? If you're here today and you're wrestling with this whole idea of becoming a Christian, I'm sure you have lots of questions. What does it mean to be a Christian? I, I, I know this Christian, and they're kind of a wacko. And uh, the, you guys over here at Ambassador, you seem kind of normal. Amen. Like, we're, we're kind of normal. I think we are. Some of us are, you know. Anyways, you're wrestling with all these different things. Can I just encourage you to put all those other things for aside just for a moment? The most important question you need to wrestle with is, who is Jesus? You say, but I have all these questions about this belief or that belief. And can I just say, put those aside, not because we don't want to answer them. We do, and we will. I promise you, we'll spend lots of time answering all your questions. But the most important question you can grapple with is who is Jesus? The most important answer you will ever come up with is who is Jesus? Is he really Lord? Is he really God? Put all these other questions aside. You see, because you say, but Pastor Nick, that's hard for me. There's parts in the Bible that I don't like. I'm going to say, welcome to the club. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. There's parts of the Bible I don't like. But you see, once a person has placed their faith and trust in Christ, once a person has acknowledged that Jesus is Lord, they've wrestled with who he is, they've acknowledged him as Lord, they've placed their faith and trust in him. Because of that, they now get to experience the love of the Father. They get to experience an abiding relationship with him. Because they get all that, they get life. It's a lot easier to submit to the hard things about the Bible. But as we're going to see later on in our, in our text, Jesus asked the question, what's your soul worth? There's nothing in this life that's worth losing your soul over. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Put those other things aside just for a moment and wrestle with the question, who is Jesus? Romans 10, 9-13 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, literally translated, the Lord Jesus there means the Lord is Jesus, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made known unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you have not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ, let me encourage you right here in the first 10 minutes of our message, put your faith and trust in him. Acknowledge that he is Lord. Place your trust in him so that you can experience the eternal life and the abundant life he has for you. Who is Jesus? Jesus was misunderstood, misunderstood by a lot of people. But I want you to notice how Peter answers this question in verse number 29. He gets it gloriously right and absolutely wrong, all at the same time. Verse 29, uh, Peter says, Jesus says, And he saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Got it absolutely right, Peter. Good job. 
he is the Christ. You say, Pastor Nick, what do you mean he got it wrong? It, it seems like he hit the nail right on the head there. Why, why are you saying he got it wrong? Well, look at verse number 30. What's the first thing Jesus tells him after this? Don't go tell anybody. Now, in other passages, in other Gospels where they're talking through this, Jesus actually says, hey, Peter, you're blessed because God revealed this to you. So he's right. Jesus is the Christ. God had revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Christ. But Peter, while he had the title right, he did not understand the role. He did not understand what the role of Christ meant. And that's why Jesus tells him, don't, 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 don't go tell anybody yet. He charged him, don't tell anybody yet. That's why he tells him, don't tell anybody. What Jesus is going to do, he's actually going to explain to Peter what it means to be the Christ. It's like Peter or Jesus come along saying, Peter, you're so close. You're right there, man. Let me just fully explain it to you before you go and tell anybody. And then in verse number 31, he begins to teach it to him. And we see in verses 31 through 33, Peter really misunderstood what the point of Jesus was. So look at verse number 31, and he began to teach them. So Jesus is now going to begin teaching the disciples what being the Christ actually means. You see, Peter, he still thinks that Christ is going to overthrow Rome. Peter was a zealot. The zealots were this really fanatical political group that wanted to use violence to overthrow Rome. And a lot of the zealots thought that Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and he was going to overthrow Rome, start a war, start an army, and go to battle and overthrow Rome. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what it's about. Let me explain to you what it is about. Look at verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Verse 32. And he spake that saying openly. So they're there with their disciples. They're on this busy road. And Jesus is just saying this for all the disciples and all the people around to hear. And Peter took him by the arm and rebuked him. So Jesus is like, let me fully explain this to you, Peter. And Peter literally grabs him by the arm and says, Lord, you can't do this. You can't say that, God. You can't say you're going to die. You're supposed to overthrow Rome. You're supposed to be our, our, our savior from Rome. You getting crucified is not part of the plan, God. And he literally begins to rebuke Jesus. I don't know about you, but that takes some guts. Like, he, he, he just flat out rebuked God. <laughs> And he's rebuking him. And notice what Jesus does in response. Peter, Jesus stops, verse 33, but he turned about and looked on his disciples. So Peter pulls him aside, starts rebuking him. Jesus turns, looks at his disciples, and he rebukes Peter. Literally says, get behind me, Satan. So four verses earlier, he's blessed, and God's revealed this to him. And now all of a sudden, he is Satan. Why? What had happened? You see, Peter misunderstood what the point of Christ was all about. Peter expresses the heart of Christian immaturity here. The heart of Christian immaturity is this. Jesus Christ came so that I don't have to suffer. And Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Cross, suffering, crucifixion? Uh-uh. That is not in the plan, Lord. I, no, no, no. You can't be saying that. <laughs> You're going to lose all your followers. But Jesus says to Peter, no, Peter, I'm not going to save you from suffering. I'm going to save you through your suffering. Peter, I'm not going to stop your pain. I'm going to redeem your pain, and I'm going to give it meaning. I'm going to use it to bring life to you and the world. You see, what Peter was failing to realize was that this death, this dying to self, was actually the pathway that was going to lead to the abundant life. So first of all, if we want to have a great year, if 
we want to grow, if we want to experience the abundant life in Christ, we must, number one, understand who Jesus really is. The kind of Messiah Jesus was has implications on anyone who wants to be his follower. You see, an incorrect understanding of Jesus' messiahship will give us an incorrect understanding of our discipleship. We have to, have to understand who Jesus is, which leads us to our next thought, and we see that Jesus' death was necessary. Jesus' death was necessary. Uh, Jesus was trying to tell Peter and his disciples, I have to die. This is what it means to be the Christ. This is what it means to be the Messiah. A right understanding, you realize that this is vital. This has to happen. Now, we would never say that the cross isn't vital out loud or definitely not in a theological sense, but I, I often wonder how often we live like it. Saved, unsaved, where we're just like, ah, I, I just, I don't, I don't like the, I don't want to, I don't want to die to self. I don't like the cross. I don't want to. That's, that's hard. It's uncomfortable. Like Peter, we expect Jesus to meet all of our expectations. We expect Jesus to fix all of our circumstances around us. We expect him to make life like a bed of flowers, and every 60 minutes we get a free hug time, and it's just going to be peaches and cream. And Jesus is saying, no, no. No, no. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here just to make all your circumstances better. I'm here to die so that I can give you life. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not your life coach. I'm not here to give you a simple action step plan to, for whatever. I'm here to die so that you can live. Jesus is not our life coach. He is our life. He is our life blood. He is our everything. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He was just getting it mixed up. He was focusing on the physical. He was focusing on the temporal. That's why Jesus says, you're not savoring the things of God. You're thinking about the things of man. You're savoring them. You're delighting in them. You're enjoying the things of man, not the things of God. Jesus was focused on the eternal. He was focused on the spiritual. Peter still really wants Jesus to overthrow Rome, so the prospect of dying just doesn't fit in Peter's plan. I mean, how many of you, when you're writing out your goals for this year, the first one you wrote was suffer? I didn't. Did anybody write get crucified? For Peter, this was like, no, I, 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 I don't want anything to do with this God. You see, when Jesus started talking about death, Peter instantly bristles. What Peter didn't realize was that by saying, God, Jesus, you shouldn't die, he was actually siding with Satan. By rebuking Jesus, by saying the death and crucifixion, that can't be part of the plan, he's actually siding against redemption. He's actually getting on the wrong team. He's actually choosing death instead of life. And that's why Jesus rebukes him so openly and so strongly. He didn't realize, and we often fail to realize, that dying is the pathway that leads to life. I wonder how often I, how often we miss out on life because it's wrapped up in death. How often do we miss out on making an impact because we have to step outside of our comfort zone? How often are we a hindering block to somebody else coming to know Jesus? Because we have all these weird preferences and rules and things and because we just don't want to die to self. The pathway to the abundant life is dying to self. So often we miss out on life because it's wrapped up in death. But then notice what Jesus begins to do. So after he rebukes Peter... He gets all of his disciples back together, and he starts again teaching them. He starts again 
for almost the third time in this passage, correcting his disciples and our wrong thinking. Let's read verses 34 down through verse 38. He says, and when he has called the disciples unto them, when he called the people unto him with his disciples, so now it's not just the disciples, it's everybody around. He's like, everybody gather around. We're just going to, we're going to hit the nail on the head. We're going to nip this thing in the bud. We're just going to, we're going to lay it all out there. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. If you work on saving your life, you lose it. If you fight for your life, Jesus is saying, you will lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, the same shall save it. It's one of the most counterintuitive paradoxical passages in Scripture. Jesus is like, you guys want to live? Then die. Verse 36, for what shall the profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Again, he's like, there's nothing in this life that's worth losing your soul over. Nothing. He hits it again. Verse 37, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? The obvious answer is nothing. Jesus is saying this is so obviously worth it. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. So, so far, we've seen if we want to have a great year, we must, number one, understand who Jesus really is. It's vital. It's foundational. It's the most important thing you can ever forget if you don't mean any of your New Year's resolutions. Just, who is Jesus? Get that one. Next, we must understand that death to self is vital. But not only that death to self is vital, but that Jesus' death is actually our abundant life. I mean, Scripture is full of paradoxes. I mean, it says we see unseen things. We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving. We're made great by becoming small. The list could go on and on and on. And here in this passage, it says we live by dying. I love how Jesus, he would just mess up the status quo by flipping everything on its head. I mean, everything we think the way the world works, Jesus just comes along and says, nope, let me flip it all upside down for you. We live by dying. But you may be asking, okay, Passionate, what does it actually mean to take up your cross? What does that physically mean for us in 2018? almost hit myself with it. What does it mean to take up my cross? Does it mean we have to walk around on the street like this guy? No, that's not what it means. Especially since he's cheating, because if you look, there's a wheel on the bottom. I think that kind of defeats the whole, I don't want to carry my cross, but that's easy. I think that's another sermon illustration, but I'll just keep going. Um, No, what does it mean to take up your cross? What does it mean to deny yourself. Well, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that he wants us to treasure him above our own comfort and our own safety. Jesus is saying, I want you to treasure me above everything, above your comfort, above your safety, above your security, above anything you treasure, anything you love. Jesus is saying, I want to reign supreme. That's what it means to take up your cross. You see, the opposite of self-denial, which is what Jesus is calling us to, is self-gratification. So when we're running around, just, our goal is to just gratify ourselves and to preserve ourselves. That's the opposite of what Jesus is calling in, into. He's calling us to deny ourselves. The opposite of cross-bearing is self-preservation. You see, bearing your cross and dying to self, it simply means that there is nothing that you are not willing to give up for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. There is nothing, nothing, that you are not willing to give up for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. I love what uh, Paul says in Philippians 3.8. Yea, doubtless, 
I count all things. Paul had a lot of things. He was part of the religious elite. He was well established. Everybody looked up to him. He was a man. He says, I count all things but loss for nothing. They're worth losing. Why? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. All things. That's our comfort. That's our preferences. That could be our relationships. That could be our ideas. That could be our safety. That could be our money. That could be our house. That could be our possessions. You name it. Jesus is saying, I want you to treasure me above all else. Put yourself in the shoes of those people, that crowd around Jesus these days. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now today, we have a very kind of sentimental view of the cross, right? We wear it on jewelry. We hang it on walls. We put it over the baby's crib. But not these people. The cross was a horrible, horrible means of death. It's a cruel and brutal form of Roman execution. It was humiliating. They would beat you. They would strip you. And then they would make you carry the cross beam to the execution site. That's where the phrase, take up your cross, comes from. After they would beat you and beat you and strip you naked for all to see, they would put this huge cross beam on you and make, it dra- make you drag it to the execution site. And there you'd be hung in front of all to see so all could watch as you suffocated to death. The Romans often used it as a political tool. They would crucify innocent victims to discourage civil unrest. The cross was an act of state terror. And so when Jesus is telling these people, take up your cross, he's saying, I'm calling you to something brutal. I'm calling you to something hard. You're going to have to give up. That's what it means to follow Christ. You're going to have to go without. He's calling us to deny ourselves, to welcome suffering. Now, the point of all this is not so that we can just be walking around and be miserable, suffering Christians. Oh, it's me. I have to carry the cross. That's not the point. See, Jesus gives us the call. He gives us the command, take up your cross. But then he gives us a reward. You're going to get life. That's the reward. You get life. That's why it's so paradoxical. That's why it just kind of doesn't make sense. Because Jesus says, when you enter into my death, I'm going to give you my life. Look at what he says. For whosoever shall save his life, But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. The point of the cross, the point of dying to self, is not so we can be miserable. I would argue that some of the most miserable Christians are the ones that don't die to themselves. Why? Because they're spending all their time fighting for their way. They're spending all their time fighting for what they want, fighting for their traditions, fighting for their preferences, fighting for their sin, fighting for whatever, you name it. They're spending all their life trying to fight and make their life comfortable so they can preserve their life. And what they don't realize is they're sabotaging the very thing they're trying to save. Jesus said, look, if you want abundant life, if you want joy, unspeakable, full of glory, that doesn't make sense to the lost world, he's saying, come and die. Come and enter into my death. It's not just this command, all right, come and be grumpy with me. Although, if that's all it was, after Jesus saved us, I think that'd be enough. But look how good God is. He's not just saying, come and die. He's saying, I'm going to give you something that you never thought you could get in return. I'm going to give you abundant life. I'm going to give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. God's going to use you to reach people. God's going to use you to touch so many lives. You're not only going to bring life to yourself, you're going to bring life to those around you in your workplace and in your environment and in your home. You're going to grow into this flourishing Christian. Why? Because you are simply willing to come and die. There's something that bothers you, and it's actually helping somebody else come to know Christ. Just die to it. Die so they can have life. I mean, how many of you in 2018 want to have more life in your marriage? I do. 
I think that'd be pretty cool. You're really good at dying yourself. How many of you, your spouse does something that really irritates you all the time? Whoa, it got really quiet. Everybody's thinking. I see some nudging. Here's the deal. Die to it. Allow the grace of God to do such a work in your heart where you can just move past it. And you can die to it. So you can experience life. Last week, uh, my wife did something that really bothered me. Um, so it, it, last week we had the 1030 service, and it, does, it doesn't matter what time the service is. It always seems like we're rushing to get out the door. Anybody else like that? Maybe it's just us, but we, we were rushing, right? And Michael, we, you saw a picture of him earlier. He's like the smiliest, happiest-go-lucky kid in the world. But on Sunday mornings, he just wants to be in everything you need to be in to get ready, and he wants to constantly be held, and he's always under your feet. And I'm just like, buddy, I love you. I just need to comb my hair and brush my teeth so people don't run away when they see me this morning, Okay. And so we're trying to get ready. We're trying to rush out the door. And Michael and Nicholas, too, they're both just, you know, being boys on Sunday morning. And so I, I grab both the boys. I take them downstairs. I finish getting them ready so Sarah can just, you know, finish doing her thing and she can finish getting ready. So I take the boys downstairs. I finish getting them ready. I sit them on the couch and I say, do not move until your mother comes down these stairs and we're going to go. And we all sat there and we waited for mom so she could finish getting ready. And so Sarah's upstairs. She's finishing getting ready. Brooklyn's upstairs. She's sleeping. And then a few minutes later, Sarah comes down the stairs. And as she's coming down the stairs, I'm thinking in my head, none of this is coming out of my mouth. I'm thinking in my head, why didn't she grab Brooklyn? Am I like that? No, there we are. We're rushing to get out the door. Why didn't she buy Brooklyn? Now I'm like, I'm still thinking, now one of us are going to have to walk all the way back up the stairs to get the baby, come all the way back down. That was a waste of a trip. And I was like, and I'm still thinking to myself, I'm like, you know who this is going to be? Like, I'm talking to somebody in my head. You know it's going to be me. She ain't going to go back up there to get it. And so I very sarcastically, this is what came out of my mouth that shouldn't. I very sarcastically said, why didn't you grab Brooklyn, babe? And right as I said that, she turned the water on in the kitchen, right? So lucky for me, she did not hear me. Genuinely did not hear me. And she goes, what, babe? And I go, um, make a better decision. Make a better decision. Just die to it. Would you like me to go get Brooklyn? So fortunately, in that moment, God gave me a second chance to die to myself. But when those things come up, just die to it. Die to yourself. You don't have to fume about it. You don't have to have a big family powwow meeting about it. You don't have to fight about it for three days or think about it your whole way to work. Just die to it. Yes, it takes grace. That's why we preach about grace a lot. Yes, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes faith to believe that that shouldn't bother me because in that moment, it really bothers me. It takes faith, absolutely. But you will experience life if you just die to self. You want less drama in 2018? Just die to self. Say, I'm going to enter into Christ's death in this situation so that life can be brought forth. This is an awkward situation. This is tough. I don't, I don't like this. You don't like, you know, we're, you're in that messy situation. Just die to self so that life can come forth. Die to self so that we can experience life. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, don't try to earn it on your own. Don't try to earn your way to heaven. Don't. Jesus is saying you can't. There is no way. He's saying just come. Just accept me. Let your sin nature, let that old man die so that you can experience eternal life in Christ. What are you willing to give up for Jesus and the gospel? What are you willing to go without so that somebody else 
can come to know Jesus. It, it might not just be going without something. It might be actually doing something. You might have to step outside your comfort zone. You might have to go talk to that big scary guy, but he's so intimidating. Looks like Pastor Nick. You can laugh. That was a joke. Um, all right, moving on. You might have to step outside your comfort zone. That's okay. Because when you do, that's where the life is. Jesus is calling us to die so that we can experience life. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, to risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. You want to get rid of all the risk in your life? Give it all to Jesus. Enter into his death so that you can experience his resurrection. Enter into his death so that your coworker can experience his resurrection. Enter into his death so that your family can experience his resurrection. Enter into his death so that your life can be a testimony of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Mark 8, the last verse. Jesus gives us the command, the call. He gives us the reward. But then he also really empowers us. And this empowerment, it's an empowerment for the believer, and it's a warning for the unbeliever. Look at verse number 38. He says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall, shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh into the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Now, being ashamed in the New Testament is always associated with unbelief. That's why Romans 10, 11 says, For the Scripture saith, so Paul, in the book of Romans, he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So when a person places their faith and trust in Christ, they are no longer ashamed of Christ. It doesn't mean they're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean they're not going to say the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that they might still sin or stuff still is going to happen. I mean, look at Peter. One minute Jesus is calling him blessed, the next minute he's calling him Satan. Peter failed all the time. So this doesn't mean that we can lose it. But what this does mean is that once a person places their faith and trust in Christ, they are no longer ashamed of Jesus. And because I am no longer ashamed of Jesus, I am free to die. You see, when Jesus is standing here and he's telling these people, his disciples and everybody, you're going to have to follow the cross. There's a lot of people that are like, no, I, 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 no, it's just too much. I can't do that. And they were ashamed because they did not believe. But for those of us that believe, we don't have anything to worry about. Because we know Jesus is not ashamed of me, because I believe. However, for the unbeliever, there will be a moment. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me encourage you today to bow when you can make the decision to bow. Place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Saving faith produces the desire to die to self so that others might live. Because I know Christ is not ashamed of me and I am saved. I, that saving faith produces the desire to die. It produces an attraction to the cross. It's horrible. It's gruesome. But it's my life. It's where life is found. I love John 12, 24. In conclusion, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. I want you to imagine a little acorn for a moment. Now imagine with me, if it could, that this acorn had a dream. And it dreamed about nothing more than growing into a mighty oak tree. And it wanted to be a tree that provided life to the entire meadow. It wanted to be the tree where 
hundreds of birds could come and make their nests in and could hatch their young and raise their baby birds. It wanted to be the type of tree that would bring rich oxygen to the atmosphere. It wanted to be the type of tree where kids would make tire swings under and swing on and maybe people would get married under. And It just wanted to be this life-giving tree to all its environment. And one day the farmer comes along and he takes that little acorn and he says, okay, buddy, today's the day when all your dreams are going to begin to come true. But first, I'm going to have to bury you in the ground. And life as you know it is going to end. But on the other side, all your dreams will come true. Imagine that little acorn went, hold on a moment there, Mr. Farmer. Nobody ever said anything about being put in the dirt. I don't don't want to be put in the dirt. I don't want to die. Forget it. I'm just going to settle for being a little acorn. You said that acorn would miss out on everything that it dreamed of. It would miss out on bringing, not just it experiencing life, but it bringing life to everything around it and bringing life to all in ways it couldn't even measure. See, the same is true for us. Jesus is calling us, and he says, I want your life to be like that giant oak tree. I want it to give life to everybody that's around you, not just to you, but to everybody around you. I want your life to bring life to so many people in ways you can't even track or understand or even know. But if we're not willing to be put into the ground and die, we're just always going to stay that little acorn. So the question we have before us as we go into this year, are we willing to embrace the cross so that we and others around us can experience life. We want to have a great year. We must understand who Jesus really is. It's so foundational, so important. We must understand that death to self is vital. And not only that, that, not only that it's vital, but that it is the pathway that leads to abundant life. Choose to follow Jesus and choose life. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.